Revealing truth by exposing lies. What does that mean? That means that on this podcast, we're going to talk about a variety of subjects, but we have an intention in mind, and that is to move beyond political ideology, religious dogmatism, tribalism, and nationalism, even beyond personal opinion, beyond false authorities that so many people don't even question, and taking you, the audience, someplace that you may not be quite ready to go, to that place beyond us and them. This is Two Dimwits. We are two political idiots who want to discuss politics and religion. Dwight Hignite on the left, Mark Matthews on the right. Thank you for joining us as we find common ground between the far left and the far right. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Dimwits. And the topic that we are going to discuss, or I'm going to talk about, is community. What is community? Well, this term, community, was, for me, defined by M. Scott Peck. He, of course, was the clinical psychologist who wrote The Road Less Traveled. M. Scott Peck started a foundation for community called the FCE, or Foundation for Community Encouragement. And the purpose of that foundation was to promote the formation of community, which Dr. Peck argues uh, is the first step to uniting humanity and saving us from self-destruction. Now, I was first introduced to this idea that community was the quintessential ingredient to sustaining long-term peace and happiness when I read his book, The Different Drum. I still remember being in that bookstore in the Biltmore Mall in Scottsdale, Arizona. I picked up the book and read the subtitle, Community Building in Peace, and I thought to myself, well, this is just some left-wing communist propaganda. So I already had a preconceived idea that I wasn't going to agree with what was in the book. But, you know, I thought, I'm open-minded. So let me just take a look and see. Let me take a closer look and see. I expected my preconceived ideas to be justified and proven true. But I was in for a surprise. At the time, I was, as you can imagine, very dogmatic in my thinking and hostile towards the political left, deeply suspicious of their motives and their agenda, and uh, feeling that they were little more than useful idiots who were being used to advance an ideology that could only end in totalitarian government. And while they promoted peace or their brand of liberty, it was all foolishness because it led inexorably to tyranny, despotism, and human suffering on a grand scale. It was with these uh, preconceived ideas that I picked up Dr. Dr. Peck's book, The Different Drum, and began to read. What I read changed the course of my life. What if everything you believe is wrong? I read that, and I stopped. I paused when I read that. What if everything you believe is wrong? It scared me, um, but it was a challenge. And I closed the book. I put it back on the shelf, and then I walked outside, and I sat down on a park bench, And I just allowed myself to let that suggestion 
uh, wash over me? What if everything I believe is wrong? As I sat there outdoors, you know, I could hear the wind blowing, rustling through the leaves of the tree. I could hear the birds chirping. And I just sat there and I did what Dr. Peck suggested. I emptied myself of all my preconceived ideas and prejudices. I allowed myself to let go of those beliefs that I was clinging to so tightly. What if I was wrong about this or that? What if I was wrong about everything? I asked myself this question, and then I I really did let go. I emptied myself of my need to be right or to not be proven wrong. I let go of all my clinging, all my precious dogma and dogmatic thinking. I dropped my burden of being right in a world of others being wrong. I did it as a kind of thought experiment, like a scientist. I wanted to see what would happen. And to my surprise, nothing happened. The sky didn't fall just because I wasn't holding it up. In fact, the first thing that I noticed was that that what I had failed to notice up until that point up until that very moment, the wind was rustling through the trees, the sound of birds chirping and the dog barking in the distance. They had been there all along, but I was not aware of it. And for the first time, I had this overwhelming sense that everything was just as it should be. That everything was perfect. Nothing was out of order. And that I didn't need to fix anything or to try to make anything better. I could just sit there. And accept the beauty of nature, the beauty of creation, the beauty of that moment. And I did. As I sat there, I relaxed into that perfection. And I just let it be. And with that came a deep sense of peace. It just overwhelmed me. And I realized in that moment that something I had never known before. I didn't need to be right or to prove myself right to others. Nor did I need to prove other people wrong. That was, that kind of thinking was itself was wrong. But what I could do instead was to accept the beauty of nature and to relax into the perfection of that moment and to trust in the eternal nature of it all, trusting in the divine being of all things, which was perfection itself, And much bigger than any human idea of God or my concepts of right and wrong or what I thought that I ought to believe or what others ought to believe with me. I realized that it didn't matter what I believed because regardless of what beliefs I held to or what beliefs I didn't hold to, the wind was still going to blow. The birds were still going to sing. My choice was to acknowledge that beauty and to be one with it, to be united with it uh, through a sense of total acceptance or to return to my political beliefs and return to my religious convictions and therefore ignore this beauty and peace of nature. It was a profound moment for me. I knew I no longer had to be Atlas. I no longer had to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. God did not expect me to convert the lost. That mission had become a guilt trip. 
But who made it a guilt trip? Not God. My religious beliefs, just like my political beliefs, were purely of a human origin. I realized that in that moment. I was only 20 years old at the time, maybe 21, but it would be 30 years later before I would tell the story, the story that I'm telling you now. And what I have learned in those intervening 30 years, well, that's a good question. It has uh, just been the same lesson over and over. I can let go of my beliefs. I can drop my need to be right. I can separate myself from my ideas. I can stop taking things personally. I can remove myself from the equation. I can empty myself of my prejudices and my preconceived ideas. And in doing so, I can find peace and joy and happiness. This is not my default position, however. I will revert back to trying to be in control. I've done it before, and I'm sure I'll do it again. It does seem inevitable, but I know it is not ideal even though it is my idealism that drives me back to trying to control things. I want to make the world a better place. But like everything else, that can be a trap. Everything can be a trap because we become so wrapped up in our mission that we lose sight of the goal. We lose our peace and our joy. Those things are never really gone. They're never really far away. We only need to let go, to surrender, to relinquish, and thereby restore ourselves to harmony with nature. And this is where peace and joy can be found. Not in our accomplishments or in achieving some goal, but rather through emptiness. The quote, something that we think is so important only gets in the way of peace because peace and joy is found in the nothing, in the now. Not the something of the future, but the nothing of the present moment. That something of the future is not yet come. It has no reality. It is just an illusion, a mist, a fantasy. Something that is not real and never will be. We only project it and keep on projecting it so that it will never arrive. The future hasn't happened yet, and it never will. It is that field of potential, and as such, it is a beautiful thing. But that beautiful thing has no substance in reality. It does not yet nor truly exist. What is real is the wind blowing through the trees and the the birds chirping and that dog barking in the distance. That's the present moment. That is where peace and joy can be found, not in the hopes and the dreams of what tomorrow might bring. Yes, psychologically, we need hope to keep us going. Absolutely, no doubt about that. But peace and joy are more than mere hope that we manufacture in order to sustain our efforts. Peace and joy do not exist in the future. They are either real here and now, they're either real in the present moment or they don't exist at all. The question then is this, how do we bring peace and joy into being? The answer can be found in community. The free will of each individual stands in the way and only when we can move 
an individual, that's ourselves, into harmony with other individuals, i.e. the group that we belong to. Can we truly experience community? And when I say community, I mean peace and joy. That community of which I speak is higher than any individual hope or personal experience of well-being. It is the transcendent feeling of oneness with others, which we call love. This love isn't spontaneously generated as an act of will, but rather it is discovered when the will is relinquished, when one's own personal agenda is let go of, and when the willpower to force the outcome is repented of. We can form community with one another, but not by our own act of will, not by winning the fight, not by pure determination. We only enter into the bliss of community by surrender, submission, and sacrifice. According to M. Scott Peck, any group of strangers coming together to create community goes through four distinct and predictable phases. Phase one is what he calls pseudo-community. It's basically a pretense of community. The essential dynamic of pseudo-community is conflict avoidance. Members are extremely pleasant with one another and avoid all disagreement. People wanting to be loving, withholding some of the truth about themselves and their, their feelings in order to avoid conflict. Individual differences are minimized, unacknowledged, or ignored. The group may appear to be functioning, functioning smoothly, but individually, the level of intimacy and honesty are being crushed. Generalizations and platitudes are characteristic at this stage. The next stage is chaos. Once individual differences surface, the group almost immediately moves into chaos. The chaos centers around well-intentioned but misguided attempts to heal and convert. Individual differences come out in the open, and the group attempts to obliterate them. It is a stage of uncreative and unconstructive fighting and struggle. It is no fun. It is common for members to attack not only each other, but their leaders. It is common for one or more members escape into organization to attempt to replace the designated leader. As long as the goal is true community, organization as an attempted solution to chaos, is unworkable. The way through chaos to true community is through emptiness. It is the hardest and most crucial stage of community development. It means members empty themselves of the barriers to communication. The most common barrier are expectations and preconceptions, prejudices, ideologies, theologies, and solutions, the need to heal, to fix, convert, or solve, and the need to control. The stage of emptiness is ushered in as members begin to share their own brokenness, their defects, their failures, their fears, their shortcomings, rather than to act as if they have it all together. As soon as that community emptiness starts to develop and take form, then bam, that launches you in to that fourth stage, which is community. And there, there is a sense of well-being, of loving one another, to realize that we are all broken and that we've all suffered in some way and that we can connect with each other at that level, that we can share the pain. 
It's like if, uh, if you're not feeling good and the dog comes up and lays his head on your shoulder and lets you pet him, there's a feeling that the dog empathizes with you, that he's sharing your pain. And that's why, you know, we pet the dog and we think, thank you. You know, I needed, I needed someone to share my pain. That dog is providing that kind of community, that kind of love. You know, we can get that from an animal, but we don't often get that from each other. Because uh, what stands as a barrier between us and community of loving one another is our attachment to our own opinions, our ideas, and our thoughts. All of these things get in the way. And we have to be able to break through that. And, and sometimes it involves uh, confession, being able to admit, hey, I did this thing that was messed up, you know. And you see that uh, manifest a lot in 12-step programs. I remember when I went to a 12-step program for the first time, I was probably 18 or 19, and I heard people talking about how they had done some, uh, been involved in some drug addiction that led to some behavior that was embarrassing. And they were admitting to it, confessing it outwardly and openly in this group. And then other people would get up and speak and they would share the similar story, maybe even more embarrassing. And everyone had that willingness to be open. And there was a cathartic experience where people came together, releasing this toxic emotion and being able to bond and have empathy uh, with one another. And I felt that sense of community. I felt that sense of love and well-being. I hadn't felt in a church, but I felt it in this Alcoholics Anonymous. And what was the difference? Well, part of it was this confession, this contrition, some of this being uh, humble, being able to admit failure, being able to acknowledge having the humility to say, you know, I'm a human being and this is what I did. And other people saying, yeah, I know, I know how that feels. I've done the same thing myself. And having that kind of uh, emptiness, um, letting go of your pride, that emptiness brought in the sense of community, the sense of well-being, the sense of belonging. And I felt that most strongly, uh, as I say, in a, in a recovery group, for people dealing with alcohol and other addictions, where you don't find it is in the church. The church, I, in my experience, tends to be more of a pseudo-community, where people are pretending to love each other. They're, they're putting on an act. They're, uh, they know that they should love each other, and uh, so they, they, uh, they do a good job of, of play acting, of performing. And so it's just a pretense or a pseudo community most of the time. What's missing? The emptiness. And according to M. Scott Peck, the stages are uh, pseudo community, then chaos, and then emptiness, and then genuine community. So the, the chaos is what we avoid. We don't want to be in an argument with each other. We don't want to have our opinions voiced openly so that it becomes obvious that we are not a community. But yet that is the only way to get to being a community is to go through that process of chaos, of being, um, acknowledging our differences, acknowledging that I don't agree with you, that I, I'm trying to convert you to my way of thinking. You're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. How can you call yourself a Christian and be a Democrat? How can you call yourself a Christian and support Marxist viewpoints? How, you know, this is like impossible for some people to understand. And so there's this uh, chaos that would erupt if they were honest, but they don't want to be honest. So they're going to have, because they think they're right and you're wrong. And, and it would be rude to say that. So rather than, you know, have a, a real discussion and enter into that chaos that could lead to emptiness, that could lead to community, it's more convenient and more suitable and more polite to just fake it, you know, just pretend to just be in a pseudo community. And this seems to be 
um, the way most religious um, groups are. But it's but it's something that um, is a barrier to love. It's a it's 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 a barrier to recovery, and that's why. In 12-step programs, you find that uh, this is not an issue as much because um, they're not trying to uphold some moral standard. You know, there's just this, uh, it's a, it's an, everybody's just admitting from the get-go that they're helpless and that they're a victim of some kind of uh, force beyond themselves and that they need a force higher than themselves to intervene and to bring about change. And so, you know, this is a, this is one of the things about a 12 step program is to, is to say that, you know, I have, I don't have the power within myself to change this, this problem. And I have to depend on a higher authority, um, my higher power to intervene and to guide me, to protect me, to lead me. And so there's this, uh, um, starting point that, a lot of times religious people lose sight of because they think that because they bought into the dogma, the doctrine, the teachings, and that because they hold these things to be self-evident in their own mind, they have a belief or a faith uh, in, in this fundamental doctrine or teaching, that somehow that qualifies them to stand at a higher level than other people. And that, that because they're at a higher level than other people, they don't have to admit to their own mistakes or faults or shortcomings. They've climbed up. They've riot, they have risen above it. And that their belief then elevates them. Well, this is a false idea. Your beliefs don't elevate you. If anything, they're, they're standing in the way. They're creating the problem. So... Um, you, you have to empty yourself. This is not easy for religious people to do. They can't admit that maybe something that they believe is wrong that they, because they've been indoctrinated to say, well, you have to believe it. Try to believe it. Try to believe it. And so it becomes a barrier to community. So the, ironically, uh, communities can come into existence uh, much easier when religion and political ideology is put away. So if you can divorce yourself from religious belief and political ideas, then you're in a much stronger position to be able to form community, to experience community, to share that community with others. That's kind of ironic. It's just, uh, but it does seem to be true. That's what I've observed about life. Anyway, so that's that's like a quick overview of the idea of community. And uh, I don't know where this discussion will go, but this is how I wanted to open it up. society today is actual true community so you know mark where do you think it is is there is it there... used to be the christian church yeah i mean at one time in this country uh everybody would when you talked about community you were talking about um the group that you got together with on sunday morning that was right. the that was your core community. I mean, for the core, of course, being the family. But right. when you extend out from that, it was the church family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, historically in this country, that's always been, you know, um, a bedrock, you know, of society. And it's mm-hmm. only been in, in recent times that this whole um, uh, church community thing has just disappeared. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. It really has, especially in the last, oh, I'd say 60 years. Mm-hmm. 50 or 60 years, it, it has disappeared. And so we have a lot of people out here running around that, you know, are very, very lonely. They may look like they're not, but, but they really are. And so where where can you find community now? Well, you know, there still are some churches uh, that people attend that they go to and they experience community. 
what I find is interesting, though, is that most of these groups that I find that have a genuine community tend to be uh, extremely liberal in their in the, their practice of Christianity in the sense that... Um, I'm sorry, did you just say liberal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just mark it for the record that Mark well, I, gave the word liberal a positive connotation. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, well, it's positive <laughs> in the sense that the people who are participating in that community are getting and experiencing genuine community. That's positive. Mm -hmm. But from the point of view of a fundamentalist Christian, they look at the liberal Christian churches that are still, that are drawing people in and forming community, and they're looking at them as, as if they're, you know, have three heads. Like, how can you be allowing homosexuality? How can you be allowing this and that and the other thing? And, and so they're really, uh, there's this, there's this uh, conservative uh, church that still exists, but is yeah. there community within that um, church, or is it just a lot of people who share you know, political views that are judgmental towards everyone else? That's been my experience. That's been my experience, too. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the, well, you have people who are calling themselves being a Christian who have, you know, that are very conservative, uh, they're missing community in their fellowship. Yes. They're missing it. Yep. And, and when, when you do see fellowship, uh, genuine love and acceptance and whatever, it's, it's inclusive of things that are quote unquote sinful. Mm -hmm. And, and so the conservative uh, bunch is like, well, we can't support that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, so what you're saying is you're going to you're going to have a brand of Christianity that has no community at all, right? And it's, it exists on a surface level only, and it's and, all doctrine and in your head. Yeah, it's all it's all doctrine, and it's so rigid that um, it really doesn't give anyone an opportunity to, you know. Uh, express their actual concerns or their actual beliefs or to be really fully accepted because in, in, a, in those type of conservative churches, if you do not hold to exactly the same beliefs, you cannot be a part of the church. There may be lip service that you are, but the reality of it is, is it's fit in or go away. Well, and that's yes, been my I mean, experience. so you have you calling itself a community. You have a church calling itself a community, but where's the love? And right. if you're if you're just paying lip service to the idea of love, then you're not truly a community. Mm -hmm. All you are is a mutual admiration society where everybody has to cow toe to the to the to the general belief system. And if you step right. outside of out, out of line according to the dogma or the doctrine of the of the denomination, then you know you're put in the firing line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, you know. This is the, the, so. This is an ugly reality. This is an yeah. ugly truth. Okay? It is, yep. and um, and that and I think really that's why churches are dying in America today, because the the you know it, it, it just seems that you know I, there was actually a website, Mark, believe it or not, that um, I was a member of. I think they finally went away because they didn't have any funding, but it was called the Christian Left. <laughs> and believe it or not, there was a, there's actually a Christian left out there. When I saw the website, I, I about had a heart attack because I didn't think that there was such a thing. And so it just seems that, you know, the, the evangelical church in America seems to become more and more rigid and more and more conservative. And I think that they're, frankly, I, in my opinion anyway, I think they're signing their own death warrant. 
Um, Christ didn't talk about exclusion. He talked about inclusion. Anyway, I'm almost yeah, well, off on Yeah, well, so this is one of the things that Peck talks about in his yep. de defining of community. He's, he defines community as a place of that's inclusive, not exclusive. Mm. And um, so in order to truly experience the emotion of, that comes with community that we're talking about, which is love, acceptance, then there's, that's an inclusive community, not an exclusive. By very definition, if, if your community is exclusive, it's not a community. Okay? Sure. So that's the whole thing. And um, so, so um, now, bringing up another subject, we, we were going to talk about the 12-step programs, etc., uh, last week, and then we just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But it kind of fits into where, where we're talking because I, I feel like, you know, in my experience, and I talked about this briefly in my introduction to the idea that we have, um, when you when I attended a 12-step program for the first time, I witnessed people who were able to connect with each other and experience community um, because they were, they've had these bitter, harsh, and hard and experiences in life as a result of drug abuse and what have you. And so they, they are able to connect, and there's a, there's a camaraderie, a, a companionship, a, a mutual trust, and intimacy that develops between people very quickly within these 12-step program environments. And, um, and you don't see this in the church, really. No. And um, so, but the church, the church, when I say church, I'm talking about, you know, traditional church mentality, people who uh, go to church every Sunday and what have you, and mm -hmm. they sit in the same pew every Sunday and whatever. Tithe <laughs> 10%. Yeah, they, they, they're doing their Christian duty, but right. they're very suspicious of these drug addicts and, you know, having community, and they're, they're, you know, some of them maybe are glad that they're here, but they don't really have a frame of reference, and there's other mm -hmm. people who, you know, I mean, there's all different kinds of opinions on that, but mm -hmm. um, the point is that I find... True community exists in that environment where people are confessing to one another. And you don't see that in traditional church environments. You don't see people confessing their sins to one another. No, no. As a matter of fact, it's, it's almost a shameful thing to talk about your sin because you have to look good in front of other folks. And, and you don't want people to look down on you or gossip about you. But hey, since you're, you're really on top of the community um, idea um, tell me about the 12-step the, the groups again. Tell me how they include some of the things that uh, Dr. Peck uh -huh. uh, that Dr. Peck had talked about. How, how, how do they fit his definition of a community? Um, I'll put you on the spot there. Sorry. Okay, well, here, here's the, 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 the... From Peck's point of view, you have... Um, Community comes into being because pseudo community uh, doesn't it falls apart, and pseudo community is where you're pretending mm -hmm. to like each other. Now, most churches, uh, people are quite willing to maintain the pretense of you know let's just all pretend to like each other, and that goes right. on for years. Yeah. Nobody wants to disrupt that. But when yeah. you get a bunch of addicts together drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and telling war stories about when they got high on meth and all the messed up stuff that happened to their family. It doesn't take long before somebody's not going to put up with somebody else's BS, and they're going to call them on it. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, because it's a circle. You're in a circle, and uh, it's a group therapy-type environment. Uh -huh. And if somebody's putting out some BS, and everybody else in the room can smell it, and they're uh -huh. going to call them on it. Uh -huh. Okay? Does okay. that happen in the church? No, oh, it doesn't. No, no, no. We, okay. don't, we don't want to rock the boat no. on that. We keep our mouths no. shut. 
So the thing is, when you have uh, a bunch of addicts together, they, they don't need a leader telling them how to run the show. They mm -hmm. all have life experience and they all know when somebody's uh, fronting or, or putting up a front. And they can call them on it and somebody will. So and they, so the people get real. And they, mm -hmm. they are held accountable to be real. Mm -hmm. And so, and they're, you know, I find that the most real people you'll ever meet are the ones out, outside sucking down a cigarette. Yeah. Because they know it's bad for them. If you tell them, hey, you know, smoking's bad for you, it's not like you tell them something they didn't know already. <laughs> right. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. these people are not uh, detached from reality in the sense that they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're more aware of what they're doing than the average person. Mm -hmm. I mean... So they're in, they're in tune with their mortality. They're in tune with their immorality. They're in tune mm -hmm. with the world. They see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And they're more honest about it and honest with each other. Mm -hmm. This has been my observance. I recognize this. And I could mm -hmm. be I could be wrong, but this is what I see. Mm -hmm. I see when you get people together who um are they don't smoke cigarettes, they don't drink alcohol, they don't watch violent movies. They're <laughs> um they have this faults. I'm thinking of my mom and dad. I love them, but you know they're kind of out of touch with reality in terms of. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, 70 they're, and 80 years old. They're, they're in a bubble. They're they a bubble. are. They live in a mm -hmm. bubble, mm -hmm. and I love them, and that's great. It's great that they are who they are, and I res I love them for who they are. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, how relatable are they to the to the people outside of that bubble? Not very relatable at all. Right. And part of the reason for that is that they don't have a shared experience, and uh -huh. so they don't, you know, um, and. That's not to say that you should go out and drink and carouse so that you can have a, a frame of reference to deal with other people. That's I'm not probably not very good advice. It's not a good no. advice, <laughs> but nevertheless, you can you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good in the sense of you know this is this is one of the this is a, a fact. I mean, you know, do you want to confess your sins to some lily white priest who's never who's a virgin who never has any experience, or do you want to be able to have a relationship with a discipleship partner, somebody who's been down the same path you have and struggled with right. the same things that you have? So that's the question. That's and so you know, if you're going to find community. Um, then you want to find community with people who sh have a shared experience that have gone through the struggles that you have. And, and mm -hmm. if, if you're in an environment like a 12-step program where, you know, they mandated because the judge told you you had to go to AA or whatever, yeah. and you're in that place, you have to be there. Uh, but all of a sudden, you're around people who, who know you're lying when you, when you start lying, and, and they can call you on it, mm -hmm. right? And they recognize when you're being real and when you're not. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it forces you out to be okay. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna come out and confess because everybody already has been down this path before, and I'm, this is nothing new. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna come out with it. I'm just gonna tell them how how bad my life was. And mm -hmm. through that cathartic experience, your your pride is broken, and at that point, there, there, there's a uh, community love that comes in and, and hugs you and holds you and supports you, and people experience that genuine community. It's life changing, and that's one of the secrets to the success of all of these 12-step programs. And I'm saying, why isn't that in the church? It should be, it could be, but it isn't. So, so, so in order to experience love from the community, the first thing you have to do is come out and be honest and set your false pretenses to the side and confess uh, what you've done and, and uh, who you are. And then that, that group... Just when you think that they're going to abandon you and reject you, stands up and supports you and loves you. Uh, that pretty much sums it up. And I think that, you know, um, like, why is this so rare? Because it's like, you know, it seems 
it seems like it, it, it ought not to be rare. Well, and, and, I, I can tell you, it's a very <clears throat> fearful thing to to make yourself vulnerable in front of a bunch of other people. And um, whereas, now, now I'm going to kind of be a counterpoint to you here. Whereas in AA or in other 12-step programs, you know, the first, uh, what is the first step to acknowledge that you're powerless over your life? Mm-hmm. That's the first step. Well, that's a doozy for anybody, regardless if they're an alcoholic or, or if they're not. And it's, it's, it's almost expected when, when you go to a, uh, an AA meeting, I assume, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, eventually you're going to have to come clean. And you're going to have to talk about, uh, you know, what you've been through. And it's almost expected, because AA is known for this, that you're going to be loved and supported. So what about in other situations where maybe it's expected, but maybe it's not? And that makes it very difficult for people to, to you know, just to come out and to come clean about who they are and what they believe and what happened to them and, and this sort of thing. And uh, so other than, I, I think the big challenge, and I'm just kind of, I'm just, just thinking here, thinking out loud. The big challenge is, is how do you create an environment that you would find in AA or 12-step programs? How would you create an environment like that in another setting? That would be, you know, that's, 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 that's not necessarily my question to you, Mark, but that's just my question to anybody. How, how would you create an environment like that? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I think time uh, is probably the best, the best thing for that. But wh- what do you think? What's your opinion on that? Well, um, one of the things that Peck talks about as far as, you know, what creates community, one of the things that can create community is crisis, a crisis situation. So, mm-hmm. for example, he gives a he gives an example of, like, um, a family uh, members that aren't talking to each other and there's there's disagreement or hostility or ang- animosity or what have you. Uh-huh. And then one of the family members is in a car accident and ends up in the hospital. And uh-huh. the, the whole family shows up at the hospital and they're waiting out in the hallway. Right. And they're like, is this person going to survive? They're waiting for the doctor. And all of a sudden, there's a watershed. Right. Everybody's differences has, has melted away. Uh-huh. And now it's just the feeling of, hey, love, and let's hold each other, and let's support each other, and mm-hmm. let's be there for each other. Mm-hmm. So trauma and crisis and, and, and situations like that uh-huh. can, can create community spontaneously. Boom. Uh-huh. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that, you know, getting back to our premise is that community is essential to our human experience. It's essential to fulfilling our human beingness as, uh, you know, to achieve that, that joy, that peace, that happiness, that optimal experience of being human. Absolutely. From prehistoric times, we relied on each other. We, we, we existed in family groups and in tribes and, and even our, uh, you know, if you go that way, even our primate ancestors exist in troops and, and uh, and groups, so it's a part of who we are. 
I gave the analogy of the dog coming up when I was sick, putting yeah. its head on my shoulder, on its on my lap, and letting me pet it. I mean, this is biology at work here. There's there's a reason why dog is called man's best friend, and that's the reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have a need for um, uh, uh, not just comforting, but empathizing with each other. We need yeah. to. It's not just sympathy. It's it's sharing. It's sharing the burden. It's carrying that burden. Yep. Being there with each other. Um, and in traumatic situations. This is what happens. Community spontaneously erupts. The family forgets their hostilities against each other. All that stuff is water under the bridge, and immediately we're back to loving each other again. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's uh, what we see is di- small group dynamics at work here. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, referring back to the the premise is that you know, I, when I use the word community, I could substitute the word love because yeah. this is what it is. This is what community is in my. As I use the term, I'm using the same term uh, in the way M. Scott Peck defines it. I'm saying that we all need to be a part of community. We all need to experience love that's greater than ourselves and being able to, to uh, plug into that. You know, there was a, uh, and I, I for the life of me, I, I, I'm fixing to confuse him with a Walmart guy, but I think his name was David, maybe Roger Glass, who was the founder of uh, something called Reality Therapy. Mm, oh, yeah. And um, his theory was that human beings have two emotional needs, and they will do anything to get them. They'll even kill to get them. Wars have been fought over these these emotional needs. And those two emotional needs are, one, to be loved, and the second one is to be affirmed. And, you know, if you're mentioning about love, community is our source of love. Why do people join gangs? Because they want to be loved. They want to be affirmed. They, they need to be a part of something. They, they need to feel like they mm-hmm. belong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, belonging. It's essential. And, you know, as I, th- as I was thinking about this over the week, I also wanted to bring in the idea of being grateful because mm. I think that there is a connection here between um, uh, your well-being uh, as a person, as an individual person, your, healthy, your health and your well-being is also connected to a sense of gratitude. Um, so the, so the, there's two aspects to this that, that I believe community, um, that we can draw from community. So community I would define as love, but, but if you want to really plug into community, um, then you're also plugging into, well, this belonging, right? You're belonging to, it's like a family you belong to. Mm-hmm. And with that comes this uh, gratitude, all right? There's a sense of, of uh, joy and peace and happiness that comes with the gratitude of belonging. Mm-hmm. You know, this, and so being grateful um, to be a part of something bigger than you is, there, is a part of the well-being that we feel. It's part of it. And so you can't really separate that. I mean, you have community, and you could say community is love and blah, blah, blah. But it's also identity. It's also gratitude. It's also, All of these things are convergent. They come together. And, and we are hardwired to be in a group. Mm-hmm. It's just this way evolution has made us. It's in, in, you know, in prehistoric times, that's how human beings survived. Because we don't have claws. We don't have sharp teeth. You know, we have a big brain that allows us to uh, to build tools, but if we're out on our own, we don't survive. So we have to, you know, in order for the human species to have survived, we had to have been in, in belonging to groups. And, you know, you mentioned we're talking about a sense of belonging. Um, when we were having our coffee together, um, 
I uh, mentioned uh, we were talking about um, suicide amongst uh, veterans, uh-huh. and um, I was listening to a uh, a uh, uh, an interview on NPR. That's what us liberals listen to is NPR. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they were interviewing <laughs> they were interviewing some um, some vets that had come home from Iraq and Afghanistan. They were asking them, you know, uh, these guys, you know, knew a little bit more. I think they were uh, psychologists or, you know, they they had, had counseling or something along those lines. But um, they, they were asking them, you know, why do you think that the suicide rate is so high? And uh, what, basically what both of them said was that when you're overseas and you're in a combat zone, you are in a very primitive, tribal-type situation. You may not like the guy standing next to you, but you know that if the bullets start flying, he's got your back, and you got his back. Not because you like each other, but because your mutual survival is dependent on that. And when you live that way for months, you... What's the best way to say it? You get back to your your primitive (laughs) roots... And you have the strong sense of belonging. You and and uh, your uh, your unit are, are united against a, a common enemy, and <laughs> and uh, you're literally depending on each other for for your very lives. And then you do your time, and you come back here to the world, and nobody's depending on you, and you don't have anybody to depend on, and so you have this real close knit sense of purpose and sense of belonging and uh then you come back to our society over here in the united states the ones that you know the the society that you supposedly fought to defend and you're just an individual amongst a sea of other individuals no belonging no no group no no community um you're just on your own and so many vets get very lonely very disjointed and, and very isolated and alienated, and that's why many of them are, are committing suicide. It's not because they have PTSD so bad. It's because when they come back home, they don't have that community that they had when they were overseas. And so that makes me wonder how many other people that are not vets that need that, and they don't even know they need it. Right. You know? Like I said before, you know, we do, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. And I think there's a lot of people in our society who are suffering because for we need to love and be loved. Okay? It's, it's important that we do both, mm-hmm. love and be loved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clinical psychologists will tell you that a patient will do better if you give them a pet. You know, if, yeah. you, if, a, if a patient has a pet, they've done testing, this has been proven many mm-hmm. times. So if, if you're in a hospital, mental hospital or whatever, and, and you're suffering and you, it, all your problems are your problems, when you have a pet, something to take care of, to feed and to pet and to, to take care of, you're able to get your mind off of your own problems. You're able to focus on something other than yourself. You're able to, mm-hmm. you know, when you're navel-gazing all the time, that's right. not healthy. No. And it's not healthy for anyone. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether you're a vet who came back from conflict and war. You're going to have a lot of issues there, you know, Obviously, but human beings in general, when they become self-focused 
and focusing on their own problems and their own issues and what have you, it is not healthy. Especially it, if they don't have, if they're alienated or isolated and they don't have anyone else to focus on. And that's describing the whole, you know, that's everyone. That's, yeah, it really is. I mean, and what do we, what people do is they go to social media like Facebook mm. and whatever and they have some pseudo-community experience where they connect with somebody. I was watching this documentary this week. It was about these flat earthers. I, I, I don't know how versed you are on <laughs> the flat earth theory. A little, little bit. Oh, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a friend who argues that case? Oh, you, you do. Yes. Okay, flat so, earth, hollow earth. You uh, can't figure it out if it's flat or hollow. It okay. may be both. I'm yeah. not sure. Well, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's a, it's fascinating. I mean, I I can discuss that subject for hours, and it's really it, you you can argue both ways. And uh-huh. and but here's the thing, the the whoever made this documentary did a pretty good job because they they weren't out to make the flat earthers look ridiculous. In fact, what they did, re, what they did reveal, is that they had genuine community with one another. Yeah. Okay. And so they were getting something that society at large wasn't giving them. Right. Okay. And because they could make a convincing argument that the world is flat and we don't believe what NASA is telling us, they're lying, blah, blah, blah. And we live in this age where, you know, fake news, you know. Right. And yeah. so <clears throat> it, it's not really a stretch for the average person who has no scientific uh, or mathematical comprehension. They don't, they, they, they weren't, they didn't learn these things in school or they, it was just assumed that the world is round and we're not going to question the world is flat. So uh-huh. when, when the facts, when you start presenting equal facts on both sides, it's, it seems to me quite natural that some people are going to uh, be conspiratorial-minded and jump to the conclusion, oh, they're lying to us again, because they have been. Yeah, They've been lying yeah. to us about a great many things. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's... Uh, we, Once trust is broken, it's awful hard to that's get it, it back. And so what happens is, uh, then they jump on the flat earth bandwagon, and they find that there's people like them, people mm-hmm. that they can relate to, people mm-hmm. who they perceive as being genuine and real. Mm-hmm. And so there's, they can um, connect emotionally, and there it's almost like the, the couple in this documentary was a man and a woman, and they had a they had a romance brewing between each other, but then in the course of the story, she found somebody else to be romantically involved with, but she said that she still loved him, and uh-huh. she explained her love as being not romantic, but more of a kind of a, a love that you would have for your brother or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And and Working I thought with teenagers, I hear that a lot. But no, but but <laughs> the this wasn't some kind of put on she was saying that she really loved him uh-huh. but on a deeper level than romantic love right and it was the kind of love that is defined by community they so, had that commonality yeah so mm-hmm. so the thing is they were finding fulfillment in each other not because of romantic attraction necessarily that had been a component but that component got blown away and what was left was the community the sense mm-hmm. of love at that level of saying, hey, it's us against the world. It kind of goes back to the tribal thing about the two men in the foxhole again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like these two people are connected because they think the world is lying to them about the flat earth thing. And so they form community and they and it's it, it's stronger bonds than even romance. And it's, it uh, survives that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like it's it's like a real genuine love. about how how does this happen you know how, how do we practice this well 
you know, as I've said, one of my heroes in uh, in therapy is a guy named Carl Rogers, mm-hmm. and um, he started his um, his particular theory uh, is called person centered, mm-hmm. and Rogers said basically that if you're going to uh, if someone's going to improve, if they're going to get better uh, mentally and emotionally, that the therapist has to have three things, and I've found this to be essential and I think that any sense of any group of community any community needs these three things okay sure and so the first one he said is empathy mm-hmm. that's not feeling bad for someone it's feeling bad with someone right. it's not feeling happy for someone it's feeling happy with someone hey if a dog can do it I, you know why can't we do it exactly so the second one he called congruence and that's a that's a fancy way for being genuine. Um, nothing up your sleeve. You just are who you are, mm-hmm. and you're you're not holding back. You're you're being you're you're real. Right. Uh, you don't have this this pseudo this fake face. You just really are who you are. And then the last one, and this one's my favorite, and um, I've uh, I've tried to incorporate this into my personal life as well. Um, it's something that Rogers called unconditional positive regard. And what that means is, is that whenever, what he was saying to us therapists is that whenever you see a client, no matter what they've done, what they are doing, or what they will do, you always look at them in a positive, accepting way. Mm-hmm. And you accept them as they are, for who they are, and where they are. And Roger said that if you have a relationship with someone, as a therapist, with those three things in it, then that client is going to improve on their own. And I thought about, isn't that a wonderful idea? What if there was a community where all three of those things mm-hmm. is present? Mm-hmm. And I, I almost hear you saying that, Mark. Yeah. I, 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 that's, I kind of hear what, that's what you're describing. Is that just, you know, empathy, everybody is real, and everybody just accepts each other. Well, I mean, who, uh, who doesn't deserve that? Exactly. Who in our society should we deny that? Exactly. Who in the human race should Do you we want deny to be that denied to? that? No. Why would you deny it to someone else then? Exactly, because it makes me feel powerful. It's or bullshit. Stronger. That's bullshit. Yeah, and and of course fact, it's bullshit. This is the problem. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, we are, uh, it's not, it, it's just really that simple. It's mm-hmm. really just that simple. It is. Yep. And, you know, it's, you know, the choice is to love and be loved. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, to, in, in my talk earlier, I said that this comes about through submission um, and sacrifice and um, and surrender. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now the question becomes: Well, what what am I talking about? Surrender what? Sacrifice what? Well, what do you have to surrender? What do you have to sacrifice? But your own goddamn opinion right. and the thing that's holding you back right. from loving somebody right. that's getting in the way right. your belief system right what if you make your belief system that everybody deserves to be loved how about that cared for and supported wow wouldn't that be a cool belief now you're system? right up there with jesus uh, yeah I, I think that's kind of what he talked about i'm pretty sure yeah now yeah. you're now you're walking with christ yeah you know, it's yeah. like okay yeah yeah well he's um, up there i'm still down here but no yeah. I mean, but yeah this yeah. is this is why is this so hard why is this so difficult? And especially in our culture. Yeah. Our culture is uh, very judgmental. Because we're taught to be that way 
almost from birth. We really are taught to be that way. Even if our parents try to not teach us to be that way, as soon as we go to school, you have first grade, second grade, third grade, then you have the poor kids, and you have the rich kids, and uh-huh. you have the smart kids, and you have the dumb kids. Factions. You, know? you have the factions, and, and, and you know, you, you, everybody gets grades depending on how well they all do the same subject. You know, that's education. We can get on that. You know, in Galatians know. 519, it talks about the, sin, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Uh-huh. And one of them that lists there is factions. We divide into factions. That's right. an, that's an evidence of our sinful nature. Sure. So it, our culture uh, supports this kind of you know mm-hmm. thing, and so um, this is as you point out, deeply ingrained. And mm-hmm. so it's it's uh, it takes a lifetime of struggle and to try to uh, untease and come to terms with what is the root problem here. But you know the the need to love and be loved is is core. It's central. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, what's getting in the way? Mm-hmm. And as far as I could tell, when I, I approach this, I've looked at it from an Eastern ph- philosophical point of view. I've like studied some Taoist, Buddhist views. Mm-hmm. And the big thing that's missing in the West is this idea of emptying yourself. <coughs> that's not a value. That's not a Western value. No, 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 no. It, it, the Western value is to gain. You don't empty. You don't lose. You gain. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, um, coming to an understanding of what emptiness is, mm-hmm. is essential in order to bring about community. Because, you know, Peck talked about this. He said, you know, pseudo-communities where you're faking it. Then you have this argument where you erupt into, you know, chaos. And then that then you go into a state of emptiness that leads to community. Well, this emptiness thing never arrives for some people. They just continually live in chaos their entire life because they're trying to convert other people to their point of view. What a depressing way to live. It's true. It's 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 just a horrible way to live. Right. Because there's no there's no value, there's no a place on imp- emptying yourself. This mm-hmm. is not taught. And you mm-hmm. know the book that I recommended you get on the teaching of Buddha, Bo- mm-hmm. Buddhism before Buddha, mm-hmm. he really talks about this letting go mm-hmm. of these preconceived ideas and prejudices and opinions and, and viewpoints mm-hmm. and seeing that as a source of suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay? And in we can certainly see that in this conversation here and talking about our culture mm-hmm. and how different it is from the Eastern. But even the Buddha himself was pointing this out uh, in his culture. To his culture, because exactly. they were divided into uh, different castes and different, mm-hmm. you know. And he he was a revolutionary in the sense that he didn't go along with the caste system. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he put men and women on the same plane. That was, like, totally revolutionary. Right. And yep. so, you know, this... Um, and he didn't necessarily buy into the whole reincarnation thing, which was another control mechanism. So mm-hmm. he had, he was, he was a revolutionary in thought in many different ways. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that he brought to the table that I think has been missed and overlooked and not talked about, even with people who, you know, claim to be experts on Buddhism, they don't really get the central message of what he was saying was to don't be attached to your views. Mm-hmm. Why? Because your beliefs, the things that you uh, attach meaning to as far as your own identity, is only a barrier to you loving other people. It seems to get in the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, Hmm. um, that's, that's pretty challenging in in today's time. In today's time, that's extremely challenging. Tell somebody to let go of, empty themselves of their opinion. Oh my goodness. Is that going to happen? Especially their political opinion. Oh, I know. This is their identity is all wrapped up in it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes, it literally takes years 
of, of working on letting go and emptying yourself of your uh, views and opinions to be able to do that. But if you understand that the motive, the reason for doing it is so that you can build genuine community. So, and when you see the, the fruits of that, when you see people who were lonely and isolated, uh, all of a sudden full of life and they're, they, they're bright eyed and bushy tailed because they're in the community. Now they're mm-hmm. accepted. All of a sudden you realize that, Hey, that has much more value than my stupid opinion. It certainly does. That's right. That's exactly right. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, that's, I want to mention this. We, we talked about this before we went on podcast and uh, we'll see. Mark and I are talking about starting a, uh, a community. And um, as we were sitting there talking about it, uh, it hit me. Because, you know, coming from a church background, the first thing that I wanted to know was what's the goal of this community? <laughs> what's the purpose of this community? What's the mission statement of this community? Right. And, and, and it hit me. What if... You just started a community, and the only goal was to start a community. Right. So <laughs> I think that the thing is to is to um, to help to help people uh, move from quasi or pseudo community into genuine community, mm. and and help them to come to these understandings, like we're talking about in this podcast, all these subjects and issues, to make it. Uh, vivid and real for them, equip them to then do the same with others. Absolutely. Right? So if you spread the word, if if you you could just, yes, if you could just, um, uh, if you could just help people facilitate Mm -hmm. community, because Mm -hmm. what is community? Community is where there isn't a leader per se. It's all, everyone's a leader. Mm -hmm. That's what community is. It's like ruled by consensus. And Mm. it's like, it's something that is, um, careful now. It's alien and foreign (laughs) to the world we live in. Yeah, it it, it, It it, is, it is. Yeah. And, I'm starting to sound like a like I might be communist when I go along. <laughs> I was going to say, be careful but this, now. This is, this is what true communism is. It I'm, is. And I've been arguing with you from since we were in high school mm. that I'm not opposed to true communism, it's but just... I'm making the point that it exists only in small groups. If mm. you try to take this idea of we're all the egalitarian ideal and try to impose it on a on a on a broad scale like a government, you're going to turn into fascist dictatorship. There's right. going to be a problem. Well, the key word there, and we're getting off talk topic for now, but the key word is impose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the subject for another day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I I think that we you know we uh, human beings um, have this need and desire for love and acceptance and to be able to uh, have community is a central part of that and you know there's a, a joy and a peace and a happiness a gratitude that comes with that belonging the identity all of those things are wrapped up together and uh so yes if i can do or participate in any way that's going to help contribute to community around me and beyond me so that it, it's a, like a legacy when i'm gone that there'll be people that that my impact will continue to be felt by others i mean that is worth Everything. It, it, I tell you, let me tell you. The one of the most powerful experiences that I've had in the last ten years happened to me last year, mm-hmm. and um, I, how I was mentioning that you know in counseling, my particular uh, therapy that I use is the person-centered, where you have empathy and congruence and unconditional positive regard. Every year at Lincoln High School, they, they have a graduation like every other high school does. But Lincoln does something a little bit different. Um, every senior gets roses, 
and they have an opportunity to go up into the audience and hand their family members roses to show how much they mm. love them and this kind of stuff. Mm. Last year, I had a client hmm. give me, her counselor, a rose. How about that? And I'll tell you, I will never forget that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I won't forget that is because there was a genuine relationship there. It uh-huh. wasn't based on a mutual set of beliefs. Uh-huh. It wasn't based on politics. Uh-huh. It wasn't based on anything that was required. She didn't have to give me that rose. I didn't uh-huh. ask for that rose. But of her own free will, she acknowledged me. And i tell you, the only reason... I believe that she did that is because I treated her as a person who deserved to be loved, mm-hmm. appreciated, and cared for. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I could win all kinds of awards. Not that I ever will, but I could. Mm-hmm. I could win $10 million. I wish. I wouldn't trade that rose for any of it. Mm-hmm. And think about how wonderful that would be if... There was a group of people that were all able to feel that way about each other. Mm-hmm. That's that's a beautiful thing. Why not? I said that is a beautiful thing. I mean, why not? Why not create that? Why, why not, not create that? Why not put your hand to the plow? Well, I why not try? Yeah, yeah, I agree, and uh, I think that uh, Mark and I are going to uh, sit down and figure out a date here. I'm going to put it on Facebook. I assume he will too. And we're just going to put out an advertisement that says we're going to start a community for the sake of community. And we're going to meet. We'll see how many people don't show up and how many people do and see how it goes from there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's so many people, I think, that are just like us and just like, you know, we have Facebook, but where's the real human connection? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing. And, um, uh, I'm I'm really delighted that you're on board with that idea, mm. and that uh, you uh, I didn't like push you to it. It was something you no. just came to on your own. It's just been in my mind for a while. Yeah, and it, it has been in the back of mind too. Uh, I didn't know quite how to articulate it, but I think you you do quite well um, in keeping it as a general framework, not having a specific agenda or what have you. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how that's going to play out in the in the long term, but it doesn't. The, the, I think that. Um, this M. Scott Peck Foundation, it's the foundation for community building, or in, I think it's called Foundation for Community Encouragement. And I find that interesting because the word encouragement is another word that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't take a lot of encouragement to, for someone to feel encouraged. Yeah. And, and that's so important, to be encouraged. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the New Testament's full of stories about encourage one another. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so... The, and what does that mean? It means to give somebody courage, right? That's right. what encourage means, right? right. And so yeah. I believe that you know, courage is uh, uh, one of the fundamental virtues of Christianity. It's to have courage, to act in the world with courage. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage to be virtuous and to do, you know, it, virtue is not some gift from God that just falls down because you prayed for it. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to, you have to, it's a virtue. Virtue really is something you, a gift you give yourself. I mean, you have to have character. You have to have backbone. You have to have the initiative. You have to care about something. You have to care mm-hmm. about, and so, you know, it takes courage 
to go out into the world and to change the world and to confront right. evil and all of that. Absolutely. And so, you know, when you do get together in community, then what should you be doing? You should be encouraging each other. Mm -hmm. That's what. Mm -hmm. That's why you're there. That's why mm -hmm. you're together is to encourage one another, yep. right? That's what that's it's right. all about. Encourage because how else, are, words, yeah. how else are you going to overcome the difficulties of life if you're not encouraging one another? That's the whole point, exactly. you know? So. So, you know, he calls this the, uh, he's deceased, of course, he's long gone, but he, his foundation still exists, and it's this foundation for community uh, building and encouragement. So I, I think perhaps um, we could use that framework, you know, maybe sure. investigate further into, like, you know, uh, you know, who these people are and how they operate, and maybe they have some suggestions or whatever, sure. and we can use that as kind of as a, as a loose guide. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. I think uh, one thing I, I, I'd want to—I've uh, th been kind of toying around with this idea for a long time, but it's been kind of evident to me these last few days for some reason. Uh, from Taoism, uh, there's a a term, and I don't speak Chinese, so I'm probably going to butcher it, uh, or Cantonese, but it's called Wu Wei, mm -hmm. and Wu Wei means action by inaction, which sounds contradictive of course that's Taoism you know uh, but the idea behind Wu Wei is to allow things to flow mm -hmm. and um, you know uh, Lao Tzu talked about you know people who strive are, are I'm paraphrasing in the extreme but it's like swimming against the current of a river mm -hmm. um, I mean you know you may get there but you're gonna wear yourself out but at the same time, if you just you can go with the flow, and you're going to get there one way or the other. And so, when this community thing starts, I like the idea of just we'll you know we can meet and 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 kind of set some backgrounds, and then let it develop naturally. Yeah, Wu Wei. Like, yeah, Wu Wei. Like water flowing downhill. Yeah. 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 I, I'm down with that. Mm -hmm. um, so no agenda per se. Yeah, no yeah. agenda. Yeah, and uh, just having in mind that. Uh, community is a euphemism for love. It's another word right. for love, and that really the, those three principles that you articulated that your counselor had, and that you try to apply to counseling is is a good rule of thumb for how we should live our lives, absolutely, and how we should treat other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what's the purpose of the community? The purpose of the community is to uh, appreciate appreciate community to help engender community and to see it flourish around us mm -hmm. and and that means the people who we are um officially bonded with uh whether it be marriage or family it also includes the people that we associate with whether it be employees on the job or people that come together in our little group setting mm -hmm. um and but then it expounds the boundaries beyond that to a total stranger that you meet at walmart or whatever Absolutely, so there yes. is no limits or boundaries it, the community is inclusive of all our experience and it also it's i, I want to bring to this um the idea of Finding peace and joy and happiness in the present moment, mm -hmm. you know, rather than being caught up in the the, the guilt from the past or fear oh, of the future, yeah. But to be in the present moment, to but, recognize that all things are, you know, perfectly aligned and coming together as they ought mm -hmm. to be, and this is part of the Wu Wei mm -hmm. uh, mentality as well. The universe so, was okay yesterday; it's <laughs> okay today, and right. it's, it's going to be okay tomorrow. And if we can, if we can experience greater measures of 
community in our lives, that means greater measures of peace and joy and happiness in our lives. Mm-hmm. And if it, by experiencing those things, we're able to share it with others. I mean, it's a self You know that something is right, and you know that something is, you could almost say divinely inspired, mm-hmm. it, when you're blessed by it, mm-hmm. but when other people are blessed by it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed that that's that. I've always seen the hand of God in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so again, with the community, if if you and I have a greater sense of belonging, and by doing this, other people can have that same sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. That's divinely inspired. Yeah, it's a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, while we've been talking, I use my random number generator. Okay. And uh, you're going to love this one. All right. The next one that came up yeah. is the Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Well, it's, 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 you know, what's interesting is that we've, we basically have discussed in this podcast uh, the illumination, right, that we've come to. Right. This is we've shared this freely with the world, not as some secret or occult thing. Right, exactly. We're, 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 we want to manifest it freely and openly to the world. We want community because that is the enlightenment. Right. That is the light. Right. Whatever's spoken in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. And that's so. <laughs> so if you you know if we're not some conspiratorial organization that's keeping some hidden knowledge. No, no. We're we're actually the true. Illuminati by right. saying this is what you know community is the secret yes and that's the light and so yes. you know let's all be about the business of of spreading that light and, and encouraging others to love one another mm-hmm. and this is the essence of of what it means to be the Illuminati the true right. Illuminati the true Illuminati now yeah the the subject of the podcast uh, in reference to this Illuminati is this uh, historical uh, shadowy organization that may or may not that uh, may or may not exist yeah we know that historically there was an illuminati was. Um, but we'll talk about that yeah. Yeah. and you know how it's how it's reincarnated and come back in many different forms and Maybe. how well <laughs> stay tuned we'll have some I, fun with this one <laughs> stay tuned i do have a lot to say on that subject i have a lot too so we'll All see right. where we go <laughs> Until next week, thanks yep. for joining us. Yep. And signing out uh, from Two Dim Wits. Two Dim Wits. See you later. See ya. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.